Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today on Truth and Movies, Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart and co are back on board for Jumanji The Next Level. The game is busted! Who's the game? I'm not here. We experience the shape and sound of water in the innovative documentary Aquarella. And in Film Club, we're slashing through the snow with the horror classic Black Christmas. A high school girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. Well, coming up in Truth and Movies, Oath White Lies podcast. Hello there, movie truthers. It's Michael Leader here, sitting in the host chair, sitting across this week from Adam Woodward of Little White Lies. Hello. And Stephanie Watts. Hi. Is that too formal, <laughs> that Steph? Full. It's fine. I don't mind. Just that you normally call me Steph. It's fine. I think when you come on this show, you're here as our Dwayne Johnson Fast and Furious expert and True. correspondent. So you have to have your formal title. True. I'm in professional mode now, now yes. that we're talking about The Rock. How have you been, Steph? I'm, I've been very well, thank you. What's been keeping you busy? What's been keeping me busy? I do things with the Bechdel Test Fest. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing a lot of screenings, bits and bobs. I think last time I was on, we were doing a screening of Whip It. Um, so we've done that and we're just kind of coming up. It was really good. It was mm-hmm. so much fun. Um, we had a really good crowd. We had a video intro from Eve, who is in the film, um, which blew everyone's minds. It was amazing. Uh, yes, it was really good. And up next, you have this screening of Atlantics. We yeah. talked about that on the podcast. That's not when I, I wasn't hosting that week. Beth Webb was mm. on that week. Yeah, so we have a screening of Matty Diop's Atlantics in the Cine Lumiere in Kensington mm. and it's going to have a kind of post-film discussion and we're getting a video interview with Matty Diop as well so it should be really good for anyone that wants to see it on a big screen which because I'm really excited about. It's out on Netflix now but yes. you should make the trip. Yeah, I Those think little it value be, adders. It's worth it. Worth it's worth it. the journey out. <laughs> <laughs> Any news from the Thwaite Lies Towers, Adam? No, not really. We're, we're gearing up for Christmas. Got our office party this week and then pretty much, yeah, clocking off after that, I think. Steph, does I just wanted to know whether Jumanji, the next level, mm. passes the Bechdel test. Ooh. Oh. Um, from memory. I think it might do. I... Maybe? I'm going to say yes, just in case. Uh, I don't know. But then you've got the thing of, like, 
there's men playing women. Does that count if Jack Black playing the girl is talking to the other girl? Does that somehow... That is really interesting. I don't think Alison Bechdel considered a film as complex as Jumanji <laughs> when she came up with the rule back in the 80s, did she? Exactly. This is a complex film that we're going to be talking about. And we should kick off and talk about it right now. Our first new release film this week is Jumanji, The Next Level. In Jumanji The Next Level, the gang is back, but the game has changed. As they return to Jumanji to rescue one of their own, they discover that nothing is as they expect. The players will have to brave parts unknown and unexplored, from the arid deserts to the snowy mountains, in order to escape the world's most dangerous game. Spencer. Huh? What? Who are you? Oh my god. You're Spencer's grandfather. Are we in Florida? And you? My little walker. Did I die and turn into some kind of a small, muscular boy scout? Are we dead? Bethany? No, no, no! Rich? I'm the old fat dude. This can't be happening! My hip sure feels good now. Look at my thighs. Look at your thighs. Look at my thighs. Okay, we have some issues here. The game is busted! It was a game. I'm not it. A nice clip there from Jumanji The Next Level. So, full disclosure, I haven't seen any Jumanji film, even the Robin Williams original back in the 90s. Steph, Dwayne Johnson here. Of course, this isn't a Fast and Furious film, but how is he performing out, out, out in this one? I mean, it's not a Fast and Furious film, but mm-hmm. it's got it's got similar energy, I feel, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of silliness and The Rock just doing big action things. It's very much his and Kevin Hart's movie. It's very much those two kind of having fun doing what they want, really. And that's how it was for the first one. And I think it worked really well in the first one. Um, I think in the first instalment, The Rock is playing the kind of main guy who's a bit nerdy, played by Alex Wolfe mm-hmm. in the real world. And Kevin Hart is the kind of big like American football player. And then in this one, they are... Danny DeVito and Danny Glover. So they're kind of Um. cranky old men. Um, And I think it's so much fun to see them just play against type. Um, It's a bit different and really funny just to kind of see that those characters do that kind of thing. Like The Rock doing Danny DeVito's like New York cranky accent. It's amusing. He is one of our only stars, isn't he? In, In the way that he can just have a film multiple films in a year where he's just having fun doing whatever he wants and well the first Jumanji paid off big time didn't it Mm. it made almost a billion dollars Adam should we be excited for this sequel well I mean you've revealed that you've never seen any of the Jumanji Uh I've seen the Robin Williams one right but I have not seen the is it called Welcome to the Jungle the first Jumanji of this reboot Mm -hmm. I've not seen that so I was kind of strapped myself in and was, was prepared to be taken on a a sort of quite disorienting adventure and I think that's kind of what you want from these films right you want to you want to sort of park your brain a little bit and just let it kind of take you somewhere fun and and this definitely delivers that I was a little bit confused specifically Mm -hmm. with the setup of the four friends and and how they kind of come about you know entering this world this game in the first place Mm -hmm. I think just on a I guess a structural and a concept level the film lacks maybe a bit of ambition in terms of what Mm -hmm. it's trying to do with the video game format I think it plays out very much as a Hollywood blockbuster, like you say, Fast and Furious style um, action movie. There's a little bit of like Spielberg maybe thrown in there. There's lots of kind of Raiders references in this. Um, I actually thought there's a lot of Mad Max stuff early on as well. There's like a a scene in some sand dunes where Mm -hmm. they have to 
um, take it's like a weird race away from some ostriches uh, in these dune buggies but it's very much channeling like a Mad Max energy Yeah. but just felt the whole thing yeah I, I wanted to see a little bit more of the world of video gaming in this as someone who maybe is a bit of a lapsed gamer but played a lot when I was growing up the idea of being in these kind of was not first person shooter but kind of like adventure style mm-hmm. games like Drake's Uncharted and stuff I guess more recently those games specifically I think speak to a certain generation of well gamer and film viewer as well which this film doesn't really seem to be that interested in appealing to it's much more broad um, and I think there, I was expecting there to be more easter eggs and more fun stuff for, for those people you know little things maybe they could have had the characters reaching the kind of limits of the gaming world itself and and kind of bumping into things and realizing they can't like knock things over Mm -hmm. or there being more things to unlock and more little achievements and things Mm -hmm. um and it's a bit disappointing that it doesn't really explore that i think yeah should have had them trying to climb up something and just running at a wall (laughs) without getting any purchase on it or anything there's there's one quite fun scene where and it's it's a nice send up of like the rock's physical or physicality and his persona where he is basically just battering away uh, a relentless kind of onslaught of um, misc sort of baddie characters mm-hmm. and that's very much like an arcade game almost like Donkey Kong style thing where he's just like smashing through crates and you can almost see the kind of kapows and mm-hmm. coming off the screen but that's as sort of far as it goes I think in really delving into that. It's interesting. So it's not really a computer game film. It's not really a superhero movie. So it's almost something like an original proposition in this blockbuster landscape. But is it enough original or is it just pretty uh, mediocre and generic within that stuff? Yeah, I feel like with sequels, you want more and you want Mm -hmm. them to take it further. And I feel like, yeah, they're they're definitely more focused on the characters than the world. Like, there's different kind of adventures, but it's nothing really different from the first one. The main draw, I think, is that um, everyone is playing a different character. That seems to be the the main kind of difference mm-hmm. in this one. There's nothing really kind of bigger or more ambitious about it. And, 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 and is that nourishing in any way? So th- we're talking about that in the sense of, you know, almost like, oh, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart are going to do Waiting for Godot and they're going to swap roles every night. That's kind of what they're doing in the Jumanji movies. Does it actually play out that way? Is it interesting? Or is it just Dwayne Johnson having fun with his mates? Yeah, I think maybe if you've seen the first one, it is quite interesting because you have the main guy, Alex Wolfe Mm -hmm. character, basically goes back into the game because he wants to be the rock again i can't remember he's he's called like captain brave stone or something like Mm -hmm. something ridiculously heroic and doesn't get to be that character so i think there is kind of something in it but then there's also i feel like there's so many mistakes like jack black playing and kind of instagram obsessed girl in the first one is so funny and works so well and then in this one he's playing the footballer does this really embarrassing accent which is just like really comes off not well i don't know why they did that I think the star player in this for me is Aquafina. Oh, yeah. Right. Who I've, someone I've not really seen in anything much before. I know mm. she's been getting a lot of praise for The Farewell, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which is very high on my list of things I need to catch up on over Christmas, actually. But I think she's terrific in this. She's kind of subverting the, the classic kind of Asian stereotype character mm. that you get in these old-fashioned adventure movies. But at the same time, she's doing... I think she, at one point she's doing Danny DeVito as yeah. well. And her impression of him is, is incredible. But she just brings... So, I mean, she's just got so much 
personality and character and she brings so much humour to the film. Mm. I think she's terrific in this. Yeah, she is really funny. And I would hats off to Kevin Hart for playing a calm old man (laughs) uh, who's just saying calming facts about dangerous animals as they come towards him. He's very, like, low-key and extremely funny. Yeah, so they each each have a role, right, in in the game. And uh, they discover that they've got new abilities, which they didn't have last time. Mm. And and that sort of is... They introduce challenges, I guess, for them each to overcome. So Mm. one of of them's like a zoologist and so... But is also sort of Dr. Doolittle for some reason (laughs) and can speak to animals. So that obviously comes in handy. And I think the, the stuff about this, which I was a little bit more invested in, and perhaps shouldn't have been were actually the human characters mm. who we very quickly leave in favour of these these kind of supercharged avatars. So at the start, you have this funny subplot with Danny DeVito and Danny Glover, mm. and and you know they're living in this kind of small town, and the old friends who used to run like a twenty four hour diner in town, and have, have basically got this beef that they're now trying to settle some some years later. And I was like, wow, I want to watch that film. I want to see the or like the sitcom of the two Dannys <laughs> running this diner. It was so much more interesting to me. Mm. And then the four friends, like, actually, one of the most telling things I think in this film is early on, uh, you, you kind of introduced to these four people who I guess they're all in this first film, right? And they're, yeah. they're kind of coming back together. And it shows them chatting away on this WhatsApp group, which you can see quite clearly as they've just called it group chat, <laughs> which I think is like, not only does that show the kind of level of contempt that I think the average mm-hmm. Hollywood blockbuster has for the audience, and it is kind of quite lazy screenwriting. I mean, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be hard to just invest a bit more personality and, and actual character into these characters. Call it something like Robin Williams Appreciation Group for a bit of a laugh and, <laughs> right. you know, just have a bit of fun with it, basically, yeah. like flesh it out a bit more. But I also think it had this weird effect on me of, like, I instantly did not buy this reality that was being presented to me. I was like, this is meant to be the real world situation. And that, to me, is such a small detail, but instantly undermined any kind of world building or any sense of, like, realism so when we then enter the fantasy world, I was like, well, we've just kind of come from one a little bit. Like, And again, like Danny Glover and Danny DeVito mm. owning a bloody 24-hour diner together. That That is just, I'm not really able to kind of suspend my disbelief long enough for that. So yeah, I, I did feel a little bit like on one level it's trying to just drop you into this fantasy game environment but it doesn't really earn the right to like throw you in there without kind of developing the world enough um, mm. and, and found it just kind of quite flat and predictable and pretty basic actually. Yeah, it's like they need to get you to the fantasy world as quickly as possible mm. so it's just kind of like what's the basic things we can do to get there right. um, and set up the story before they all go into the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So Steph, before we go to scores, let's just rank the Johnson movies this year. So Dwayne Johnson okay. pumps out three or four films a year. This yep. year I think we have Fighting With My Family, Hobson Shaw and this film. Yeah. Best in class? Oh. Well he doesn't have a big role in Fighting With My Family does he? Mm. But he that is a great it, movie. Yeah. And I liked all of his kind of little Instagram videos to mm. promote it. Very nice. That's, um, that's not a rock movie though. It's not. I mean he plays himself. Mm. So that's a sort of walk in, on in a sense cameo. it is the truest rock movie of all of them. I mean, I'd have to say Hobbs and Shaw. It, mm-hmm. It's so good. Well, so it's, it's not, but it is. Who <laughs> uh, <laughs> doesn't want to see Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham fighting, becoming friends, becoming brothers? Okay, that's true. Well, let's put some scores on this, Steph. So we have In Anticipation, Enjoyment in Retrospect. I think my anticipation was quite high. I watched 
the first one on the same day, so I was kind of in the zone. So mm. maybe like a maybe a four. Like I quite enjoyed the first one, and then three in enjoyment. I thought it was fun. It wasn't anything special, mm-hmm. but I had a good time. But I think sitting with it is not as good as I thought it was right. at first. So maybe a two in retrospect. Okay, Adam, having not seen the first one. And having some sort of, I guess, nostalgic affection for the Robin Williams version, I'd say my anticipation was pretty low. So I'm going to go with a two for that. And then maybe a three at the time and a two in retrospect. I think there's there's a few really kind of clunky moments in this um, structurally. And yeah, one particularly um, ill-advised horse cock joke, which I think lands pre- pretty okay. flat. Yeah, no, it's, it's in there. Yeah. It's a very strange kind of family movie. <laughs> not not the ones I, I was used to growing up. Right. Well, that is Jumanji, the next level in cinemas this weekend. Up next, we have a very innovative documentary called Aquarelle. Aquarella takes audiences on a deeply cinematic journey through the transformative beauty and raw power of water. From the precarious frozen waters of Russia's Lake Baikal, to Miami in the throes of Hurricane Irma, to Venezuela's mighty Angel Falls, water is Aquarella's main character, with director Viktor Kosakovsky capturing its many personalities in startling cinematic clarity. Some lovely noises there from Aquarella in that clip. Adam, I remember we were both at Venice Film Festival last year and you snuck off to watch this water documentary. This was Aquarella, right? It was. I must admit, I was somewhat strong-armed a little bit by a very lovely PR friend of mine who was there and, and was kind of doing some early repping for the film. And But I'm very glad that he persuaded me to mm-hmm. go and see it. Definitely one of those films that... I mean, you go to festivals like Venice, obviously, to see the big-ticket stuff, but it's always nice when you can... Um, leave a little bit of room in your schedule for discovery as well. Mm-hmm. And that this was like a real kind of discovery moment. Not necessarily, a, oh, wow, this is a really exciting new voice on, on the kind of filmmaking scene. It was it was just an experience I hadn't really had before. And so, sometimes not always in a positive way. I think there's some quite kind of jarring elements to this film. And it, for me, it loses its way a little bit when it moves away from the kind of initial mm-hmm. location, which is this amazing like Russian lake. So when it does go into more kind of Attenborough territory towards the end, I think it maybe loses its way. But the opening, I'm going to say from memory, about half an hour of this film is pretty intense and, and extraordinary. Um, there's there's one sequence where, I mean, these guys are kind of driving around on this huge ice sheet and there's, there's one moment where they're trying to rescue a guy who's like fallen in and you see this pretty horrendous scene kind of play out from a long shot and yeah, the guy kind of drops into the water and then they're just like sort of pounding on the ice to try and break through to him and yeah. presumably they they don't succeed mm-hmm. and you're kind of watching this play out I'm not really sure I mean obviously they were sort of if I want of a better word fortunate to be there while that was happening to capture that and, and kind of show this this, this moment um, in, in, in all its kind of raw beauty I guess but yeah it's just really precarious um, I guess that's the point of the film is this precarious relationship between humanity and, and nature that sequence is incredible because it starts off with them digging out a car that's, that's right, sunk yeah. under the ice and you just see them like winching it out and 
these chaps who have lost out on the ice are almost introduced as almost like these comedy slapstick figures because they keep falling through the ice. Are they a bit drunk? Are they experiencing shock or whatever? And they're this sort of Russian Coast Guard ice equivalent are there saying, step away from the ice, just stay on the, <laughs> stay on the truck, you're safe there. Well, pe- people slipping over on ice is never not funny. Know, right, yeah. uh, but but then this takes such a dark turn. Yeah, when they it, say there's a guy stuck under there, yeah, yeah. and we leave the scene with them just basically hammering the ice sheet with a log because they couldn't get the ice spear out. It's quite effective. I mean, it's definitely not for the faint-hearted. We should we should point out because mm-hmm. although it's not particularly explicit or graphic, I think what you what you're seeing is like nature is is most kind of raw and uncompromising. Yeah, I found it very tough. And, you know, from a spectacle point of view, it's a really beautiful film as well. There's there's a lot of amazing cinematography in this, so it isn't all kind of doom and gloom, but mm-hmm. certainly it has it has moments that really were really difficult to well, sit through. It looks incredible and it sounds incredible as well. Steph, what, what did you mm. think of the way it sounded? Yeah, I really wish that I'd been able to see this on a big screen because mm. I think that the sound and just the images, you have these kind of huge waves and just, yeah, sequences set to this kind of metal music mixed with the sound of the waves all crashing just like really yeah intense and I think if you were sitting in a in a room with really good sound it would be really atmospheric and really affecting really shaking your seat sort mm. of stuff uh, really puts you in the middle of all of these weather systems it really comes into its own during the storm sequences towards the end where you just see the whole world being blown off its feet mm. by by the, the wind and the rain yeah that's where the metal music that comes in maybe is a more obvious and natural fit for mm-hmm. what you're seeing i think early on the first time it comes in is quite jarring and yeah yeah i was sort of thinking like is this what I'm watching, is this like brilliant or is this actually quite bad? <laughs> well, I'm going to throw up the devil horns for a second here yeah. to, talk, to talk about the music. So this is, the, the, the score composed for this film is by uh, Eka Topinen, who's from a band called Apocalyptica, who are a Finnish cello quartet that play thrash metal, <laughs> originally covers and then originals. And the music, the, the, the sounds they create are absolutely amazing. You know, the way that playing heavy metal music on cellos sounds nightmarish and the opening theme of this film is particularly quite strong for that because cellos can be used for percussive dissonant reasons as well but I don't think the score fully works for me I'd almost wish that this had no score other than Mm. the field recordings because it's used so sparingly across 96 minutes we maybe get six score cues you get kind of really strong blasts of it yeah and there are one or two times where it just comes across a bit I don't know like like a disaster movie montage, uh, when you don't want that, you want to sink into the natural world. It sort of reminded me, like, when you find yourself down a sort of YouTube spiral in, like, the middle of the night, and mm. you end up watching these storm montages yeah. of set to this kind of music. Mm. I mean, the music itself is really great, and on its own terms, you kind of want to appreciate it. Mm. And it's it's not just kind of generic music, which you would normally slap on a, a kind of YouTube compilation, but that was sort of like the, the vibe I was getting off it initially. Well, the music is not a million miles away from something like Johan Johansson's score for Mandy, the Nicolas Cage film that played at festivals last year and came out earlier this year, where it's neoclassical metal squall. And I wonder if there was more of a completely written through score for the entirety of the images, so you can go on a journey of music as well as imagery and sound, it would have worked better. But as it was, this film reminded me a lot of the documentary Leviathan, mm. came out a few years ago, which takes a similar approach to... <laughs> uh, fishing, where it's mainly cameras <laughs> placed on board various fishing vessels and it's seen through these <laughs> very up-close shots of 
the toing and froing of boats and fish literally coming up into the lens, literal fish eye lenses at times. And it shows fishing to be like going through the gates of hell. This approaches that at times, and at other times it tips its hand in two in different directions. I think. Mm. Steph, where did this fall for you? Did you like this? Did you would you recommend it? Yeah, I think jumping on the sound thing as well. Definitely that first montage that's all kind of the icebergs kind of cracking together mm. and bits of ice falling off. I wanted to hear the sound of that because I think it's such a like the whole film is portraying how kind of powerful ice and the ocean is and the kind of. I think definitely speaking to the climate crisis mm. of, you know, if this stuff gets destroyed, it will destroy us in turn. Mm. It's not just kind of going away. It's trapping people under ice or it's kind of ruining cities or towns that rely on having ice around. Yeah, I definitely, like I said, wish I'd seen it on a big screen because I think that would definitely make it more effective. Mm. Do you think it is trying to push a sort of eco message? I think a little bit. Because it's got the ice at the start and then you move towards all the kind of tropical storms at the end. Yeah, It's one of those films, as you say, Adam, it's very much a festival discovery sort of film. This did the rounds at many festivals. And when you do that, you often do read the director's statements and all the supporting materials. When you're just presented with this film, there are no talking heads, no narration. It's just footage and music and and, and sound. There is an element of a blank canvas for us to... throw whatever reading we want to on there but the director's statements and supporting materials do say this is a crisis that's at our doorstep and we have to mm-hmm. look at what we're losing and a way of being confronted with the majesty and the, the nightmarish intensity of what, what water can bring to us in terms of nature but there is that element where if you're going to go and throw down your money for a ticket on a Friday night, Saturday night is that enough, <laughs> that sense of discovery to go and sell a ticket, it's different isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, I mean, I think the environmental message of this film is probably in there. It just seems to me like a film which is... The the, the images, I think, are the strongest... Mm. Obviously, the strongest part of this film. And we're used to seeing these Im- images like this in the context of a kind of environmental right. documentary, ecological message. And it's interesting that the film doesn't necessarily push that with more conventional means like narration or having kind of talking heads from climate change scientists or mm-hmm. whoever but I do think a little bit of it, of its effectiveness is lost mm. through the lack of that Let's put some scores on this then Adam I'll come to you first in anticipation enjoyment in retrospect oh, It's a tricky one to put any kind mm. of anticipation on maybe just a three I mean the idea of like a, a documentary about water did pique my interest a little bit I think enjoyment maybe a three again probably not a film I'd watch again so in retrospect I'd say a three. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned that film Leviathan, which that's a documentary which really challenges the viewer and also maybe tries to reshape your perspective on what the form of documentary mm-hmm. is and what it can be and what it's for. And I think this film almost gets there, but it doesn't quite kind of succeed in that. Mm. Steph? Yeah, I think I'd be the same. I'd heard from a few people when I said that I was going to be watching it um, that they really enjoyed it and they were really affected by it. So a three mm. for anticipation. And yeah, three for enjoyment. I think there's definitely stuff in there that caught my attention. But yeah, maybe that didn't last for the entire movie. And yeah, the three in retrospect. I would definitely see it if it was screening mm. on a big screen because I'd like to kind of, yeah, revisit it. Yeah, I'd say three, four, three for this. I, I, I love this sort of film. Whenever I'm at a festival, especially documentary festivals, I, I just watch these sort of films all day long. But I don't think this is necessarily achieving that 
that level of quality or that different perspective that we that we get from some of those better films in class like Leviathan. So I, and it's a hard one to recommend. <laughs> maybe a bit of counter programming if you don't want to go and see Jumanji or Cats or Star Wars, you can go and see this instead. But it, maybe it might not be a cup of tea. Anyway, that was Aquarella, rounding off our new releases this week. Up next, we have Film Club with Black Christmas. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. First released in 1974, Bob Clark's influential slasher saw the college town of Bedford receiving an unwelcome guest one Christmas. Let's hear a clip before we have a chat about it. A high school girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. Yeah, what I've done is I've tapped this phone so that when it rings, it'll ring at the station house too. There was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight. Yes, I heard. Your phone's ringing. A little bit of Black Christmas there, bringing in the festive cheer. Steph, did this make you uh, look looking forward to the twenty fifth at all? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I'm not alone in my house again, which is how I was when I watched this movie, then definitely mm-hmm, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of festive cheer. Um, did you dig it? I really liked this. Yeah, I think I was reading a bit about it before, and it's kind of how does the first slasher movie? And I was interested to see how it would be because some people had told me that. This is like one of their favourite films, mm-hmm. and it's really like progressive for a seventies slasher movie. And I definitely found that like you've got right. these kind of group of sorority girls. They're all kind of being picked off, obviously in the Halloween style. But then you've got these kind of other storylines going on at the same time that really kind of fill it out and fill out the story and and what's going on around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. There's kind of 
a plot line where one of the girls is pregnant and she doesn't want to keep it and she's kind of arguing with her boyfriend about it and I think there's a girl that's like drunk all the time <laughs> there's the house right. mother who's kind of trying to keep them in line and keep the vicar from getting them into trouble too much just for kind of being sorority girls and kind of just doing their thing yeah and I thought it was really interesting how obviously they're all being killed but I don't think they're being killed because they're like bad women or bad people they're real flawed characters um, and they're not kind of held up as saints or really condemned at the same time interesting um so this is held up as quite an inspiration on the 80s boom of slasher films not many of which really looked or resembled this film Mm. much like halloween the other one that's held up as the the great influence on the 80s so maybe that's one thing they didn't take from from this film yes adam what's your history with black christmas was this a first watch for you was this a and it did it pay off it was yeah i mean i quite selfishly proposed us watching this because it had been on my to Mm -hmm. to see list for quite a long time and yeah just thought with a remake coming out um this week with image and poots oh the poots yeah which i may may well give a whirl after this just to kind of compare it and there was i think there was a mid-noughties version with michelle trachenberg Mm -hmm. and mary elizabeth winstead as well which apparently is total bobbin so probably, (laughs) probably not worth it but yeah this is like one of yeah one of those films that you watch it and you're like wow I mean, not only did it sort of obviously influence films like Halloween, I mean, especially the opening is shot from this very voyeuristic single perspective. And it's, that, that in itself obviously links back to things like Peeping Tom. But you kind of watch this and you think, wow, Carpenter and people like Wes Craven really kind of ripped this mm-hmm. off, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why it isn't more sort of influential or I guess better known mm-hmm. um, or more iconic in the way that films like um, Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre are. It just establishes so many tropes and so many ideas that have almost become cliche within horror even the idea of like the final girl mm. um, you have this this character jess who i think by definition of final girl the the common definition she's not quite a, a final girl but she's mm. she's very much in the, in that mold and yeah you have this kind of i mean you don't want to sort of give anything away with the ending because there's a sort of wonderful twist at the end but mm. you have this face-off essentially between the, the last girl standing and this guy you suspect to be the killer um, and the way it even subverts that is like mm. feels almost like postmodern mm. horror, but this is doing it before all that. So it really is quite an amazing and just very effectively well put together. It's very, yeah. very chilling. You mentioned John Carpenter and Halloween there. Do you know this, the actual specific connection between this film and Halloween? Yeah, vaguely. I've done a bit of reading so, on it. Bob Clark, of, of course, had a long and storied career after this film. In, in fact, actually, in 1974, he made this and a film called Death Dream, which mm. are both quite influential cult horror films although both never really achieving the, yeah, the, the standard I, I, thing. Bob Clark's career, he, he it was very up and down. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I think he was a gun for hire for a lot of things, and I don't think he really bettered this. Mm-hmm. But he was going to work with Carpenter a few years later, and Bob Clark tells a story, it's, uh, it's quoted in various articles online, take of it what you will, but Carpenter found him and said, are you going to make a sequel to Black Christmas someday? And... Bob Clark said, no, I'm done with horror. I'm never going to do another horror film. But if I did do a sequel, it'll be the guy breaks out of a mental hospital on Halloween and goes home. And John Carpenter's like, hmm. (laughs) And then the next year, Halloween comes out. Although Bob Clark says... John Carpenter was already well on his way to making that film. And, of course, there are other producing and writing partners involved in Halloween. They didn't rip him off. But it's interesting that there is that connection between the two films, as well as the stylistic ones, as you say, Adam. Mm. And, I mean, I guess John Carpenter establishes 
Michael Myers as this mm. very iconic, monstrous horror villain, which I don't think I think Black Christmas kind of lacks that, right? Specifically because it is it it does kind of always keep you guessing and and kind of pulls the rug out from under you eventually with that but mm. it doesn't really have that central figure yeah. in the same way that something like Halloween does or even Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. I think I'm actually quite interested to see the remake um, just in terms of kind of campus mm. life and problems that have arisen with like assault in the US and the UK and kind of see that the kind of monstrous figure yeah. being kind of faceless in the sense of it could be anyone Mm -hmm. that you are going to uni with or anything like that. So I think that might be quite interesting to see redone. Yeah, yeah, this most recent remake, which is literally out this weekend, Mm -hmm. is coming from Blumhouse, who of course can make sometimes make incredibly pointful films or just incredibly fun horror films, and it's from a female filmmaker as well, so it seems like the time is ripe for a new version of this Mm -hmm. film. Will you be seeing it? I might give it a go after this. But yeah, I mean, like you say, Steph, this is very much in the tradition of the kind of classic urban legends of the babysitter mm. and the man upstairs. Mm. And I think it was drawing on a lot of things that were in the news at the time in, in specifically around Quebec. There were some like campus oh. killings. and Oh, I read as well that I think they couldn't release it because it was around the time that like... Ted Bundy was on the loose as well. The, the TV premiere had to yeah. be postponed. Yeah. It? So it's had a, a rocky run of it, hasn't it? Yeah, so, so it is almost that thing of like it's it's scarier when you don't know the killer mm. and when it could be just someone who's among you and mm. um, it taps into a kind of very primal kind of fear about society and like you say, actually the way the women are presented as not these kind of virginal, in fact, in fact they're quite pointedly not these these virginal characters, mm. you know, they are quite promiscuous and, yeah. you know, one of, one of them has like an alcohol problem, as you say, and yeah. that in itself is quite progressive. I mean, I, mm. I guess though, you could argue that the film ultimately does kind of punish them for that. But, yeah, but, but I think it kind of punishes them for, I feel like watching it now, it kind of makes a point of they're just being women yeah. and they're being punished they're allowed for to be, what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So would we recommend Black Christmas for the listeners out there? Absolutely. I think it's of that era. It really Mm. holds up. And just think it's, a. I mean, if nothing else, a really chilling, really effectively crafted horror. Does it work for Christmas or would it it work any time of year? It's that that age-old Nightmare Before Christmas (laughs) argument. And I'd say it's probably more of a Halloween movie. I mean, much in the the same way that the movie Halloween is just set around Halloween, but Mm -hmm. that's kind of as far as it goes with it. You know, there's Christmas trees and decorations and snow, but that's about it. Are there any good Christmas horror films? Mm. One that I think is a Blumhouse film that came out a couple of years ago, which is a bit more of a home invasion thriller, is called Better Watch Out, which I'd, I'd recommend people check out. If uh, mm. I quite like, is it called Rare Exports? The oh the Christmas Finnish, tale, yeah. Or is it? Yeah, that's yeah. quite good. Tapping into the kind of Father Claus, mm-hmm. yeah, origin story. That's more of a sort of comedy romp of a yeah, horror yeah, film, isn't yeah. it? But still, really great. We're talking a lot about Finland this week, without an apocalyptica. <laughs> anyway. That was Black Christmas. Listeners, if you do watch Black Christmas or any of the films we discussed this week, let us know what you think at the usual channels, at Truth and Movies on Twitter, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email, or at the comments section at com slash podcast. Next week, two massive movies to cap off the year. There's not going to be Film Club because we're going to dedicate all our time to talking about Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and a little movie about cats. Are we excited about those, Steph? So excited. One more than the other or both equally? 
equally. I can't believe I'm excited about cats, but I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to be yeah. in that world. Adam, I can't tell. Are you, are you a cats fan? I've not seen the musical. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of sitting opposite Hannah Woodhead in the office. I now feel like I know the story quite well. Right. And I'd say she's definitely raised my anticipation for this one. But yeah, more kind of, there's a morbid curiosity, I'd say, yeah. for me around this film. Actually, probably more so than Rise of Skywalker, which I, I feel I need to see like out of obligation now. It's like the last season of Game of Thrones or whatever. And I just sort of have to get through it. I well. mean, does Rise of Skywalker have digital fur technology? No. So. Well, it may do. It might. We don't know yet. It could do. And they could burst into song. That could be the way the oh. saga ends with a sing song. Yes. That would be good. That would be amazing. I can't wait to see Rise of Skywalker. This feels like a big, big moment for me, particularly now that they've said that they're going to rein in the production, focus on those big movies, none of these side stories, etc. So, can you see Kylo Ren doing Sondheim in this? <laughs> Space Sondheim? Does Sondheim? Sondheim doesn't exist in the Star Wars universe, so I'd have to find whoever the equivalent is. I mean, that's a question for the real Star Wars nerds <laughs> about the musical <laughs> genealogy of the Star Wars universe. Oh dear. Anyway, we'll be back next week with those two massive movies just before Christmas. Adam, Steph, thank you so much for joining me this week. I'm Michael Eder. As always, this has been a 7 Digital production. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.